Hello everyone and welcome to Desolation Radio. It's me, Dan Evans. You are listening to episode 101. A few weeks ago, we sadly lost our friend and comrade Tyrone O'Sullivan. Tyrone was a hugely influential leader in the National Union of Mine Workers during the 1984 strike and later famously led the worker buyout of Tower Collar in Hirwine, the first worker-owned mine in the world. He was a long-term political hero of myself and many other people across South Wales and the Labour movement in general. We were in contact throughout the pandemic via phone and email. Uh, we wanted to make a short film about Tyrone that would accompany uh, a long-form podcast with him, but because he was shielding due to mining-related respiratory disease, uh, we were never able to actually accomplish it. However, I was lucky enough to interview Tyrone at the Mirth Horizon Festival a couple of years ago. He was a truly wonderful man, uh, very kind, passionate, and just an all-round inspiration. Uh, doing that interview and in our phone conversations, he talked about the importance of fighting, never giving up, uh, and he couldn't understand the reluctance of many trade unions over the last decade or so to take the fight to the bosses. However, he was deeply optimistic about the working class's capacity to change the world, and he was enormously cheered by the recent wave of strike action, a sign that working class people are starting to stand up for themselves again. So Tyrone was actually meant to be episode 101. However, it's fitting that the episode we earmarked for him is now going to be with a new young generation of union leaders who are carrying on the fight. And I know Tyrone would have been absolutely delighted with that idea. So this episode is dedicated to the memory of Tyrone, just a fantastic socialist, a fantastic man. Uh, I really recommend reading uh, Tower of Strength, his autobiography. It really is an inspirational story. He's just an example to us all. Anyway, if you haven't heard of the Amazon Labour Union... What they have achieved is truly incredible. After getting illegally dismissed by Amazon during the pandemic, a small group of workers went on to form their own startup union, the ALU. After an enormous, inspired grassroots campaign, they managed to gain formal recognition in their Staten Island warehouse, which represented the first ever successful union driver Amazon and a huge victory for workers across the world. I caught up with the leaders of the Amazon Labour Union, Chris Smalls, Jordan Flowers and Gerald Bryson in the Wales TUC office in Cardiff. So thanks very much for Wales TUC for organising this episode. Maybe they're not so bad after all. Okay, hope you enjoy. Okay, I'm here with Chris Smalls, Jordan Flowers and Jerry Bryson. Uh, Welcome to Wales, lads. Thank you so much for coming. It's been such an inspirational story and we've been following it from across the pond and we're really happy that you're here. So I just wanted to talk just briefly through this chronology of what happened because it's a crazy story so just make sure I've got this right so at the start of COVID you guys are forced into the warehouse in unsafe conditions you then organize a rally to protest these unsafe conditions Chris then gets illegally dismissed and Jerry you get illegally dismissed dismissed. and then Jordan illegally dismissed (laughs) Uh, so full house you then set up the special committee which evolves into the ALU Correct. which you then run from like a tent in a bus stop from what I can <laughs> yes. yeah. um, right. and then you gradually build density through getting the cards then you win the election to get recognition and now you're formally recognized by NLRB. the JFK 8 in in Amazon are you are you recognized anywhere else as well no well the recognition um, is only for JFK 8 uh, by the NLRB, the National Labor yeah. Relations Board, uh, but we do have other campaigns in other buildings. Yeah, sounds pretty straightforward to me. Like it's quite an easy, <laughs> um, but no, um, it's, it's just an incredible achievement. So I just wanted to ask, like, how big was COVID as a catalyst in kicking it off? You know, the 
being forced because obviously you've worked in Amazon warehouses for a while. Yeah. Presumably the conditions are never good in Amazon warehouses. But how much was COVID? How, how much did COVID sort of open people's eyes and kick everything off? Oh yeah, well. It, it, it was a mystery. I mean, you know, like, we didn't know how you really catching it. I had it before they even announced COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that, you know, like, as far as having people at home, your children, I had grandkids and a kid. And, and uh, you're scared you're going to bring it home because at this point there's bodies piling up in the trailers at the hospital. You know, they got semis there. They're just sticking bodies in. So, yeah, we were pretty much, you know, in disarray because we couldn't, you know, they're not telling you, hey, we're looking into a cure, or hey, you you know, you don't get it like this. All they're, all they're doing is like, uh, we don't know, you know what I mean? And people are dying, and nobody knew nothing else, but maybe it came from China, okay? So, I mean, that's what we were dealing with, and at that point, I know for myself, I got two little ones. At, I had three little ones at home. I got two grandkids, and I had, and, and my own son. He's you know, it's ten now, but uh, I was scared I was going to bring it home to them. And you know, when you see people dying in the streets, it becomes a little alarming to you that you might bring something home to your family. And that's what was very alarming for all of us. I mean, Chris has twins. You know what I mean? Jordan, he, his health, you know, is very important to his health, and I'll let him tell you about that himself. But that's what really alarmed us, especially when they're holding uh, uh, carnivals in the hallways when the world has shut down for pandemic. You understand? The city had shut down for pandemic. So, yeah, we were at the top of uh, being alarmed. <laughs> so is it like a breaking, like, almost like a, a, a breaking point, you know? Yeah, like, like the last... Yeah, like, it was a life or death situation. I mean, COVID... Uh, like Gerald was saying, it's, uh, uh, everybody in New York City at the time being the epicenter of the world, um, you know, people were dying like every 15 minutes. My mom works at the hospital, Mount Sinai, and she's been there for over 25 years, and I remember just talking to her every night on the phone, like, you know, she's telling me about the, the horrors that she's seeing, um, you know, we're going to work during quarantine, with a letter in our hand saying that we're essential workers and it didn't make any sense. You know, how could we be essential workers when we're, we're just regular people from the community? So uh, for us taking a stance and trying to go through the proper channels, the first thing, you know, going to HR, going to upper management and realizing that it was tone deaf and the response from Amazon was, you know, basically if you're not safe or you feel scared, stay home, but don't get paid. Uh, wasn't sustainable, wasn't even a real answer. So uh, for us fighting, not only for ourselves, we were fighting for everybody. And, um, you know, that led into, you know, one thing led to another. We, we wasn't trying to become an, a union. We weren't trying to organize a union uh, or even really trying to lose our jobs. We were just trying to protect ourselves as human beings. And mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, uh, Amazon neglected that and also tried to well did retaliate against me which forced us to uh, take action you know that wasn't our intentions but we wanted to send a message and um, you know they uh, they really pretty much I say they created the monster yeah well, I sort of feel doing COVID I mean obviously people have I'd say everyone has a basic form of class consciousness if you work in a 
a job, which is where you're sort of disrespected. But when COVID came in, we were basically told, you're going to go in and we don't care if you die or whatever. Yeah. I think that was for a lot of people who maybe a bit more chilled out. It was sort of a, a wake up call. Um, so I've got to ask, you know, obviously you got illegally uh, fired or dismissed or whatever. The trend across the world at the moment is basically for people to walk, to leave their job, to not unionise, just just to walk out and go to another job. That's one of the big problems we've been finding in, in the UK. It's like rather than unionise, people go, oh, I'll just leave the job and go to another one. Um, why did you decide? I, I'll probably, yeah. I'll probably fall by the answer this one. Uh, the thing, uh, the thing about it is, like you're you're in a place with people who are trying to fire you. I mean, you know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If they don't get you today, we're gonna try tomorrow, and we're gonna try the next day, or we'll let you sleep and we'll do you next week. That's the way it is there. So, I mean, like I lost my job. I mean, and I understand what people what, what you're saying with that question. Like people are like, oh my God. Well, I'm here. I'm here, right here in Wales, and I'm fit, I'm fit and fine. Uh, it was a struggle, but when you believe in something, you you gotta go through with it, and that meant, yeah, I was gonna lose my job. I mean, I lost my job for protesting on my day off. Okay, I was literally off. I chose my days when I was okay. They can't do nothing to me. I'm testing today. They fired me, so yeah, I was off. I wasn't even, I wasn't on the clock. I was. Nowhere near the clock for the next three days, when they, you know, but that's how they do. So, like, when you're trying to make a point, especially, like, you're trying to save your life, because that's, like Chris said, he, he hit on a, a main topic. We weren't looking for a union. We were looking for, for, for protection. How are you going to keep us safe? How are you going to keep us safe so we can keep our family safe? We weren't even talking money. We were talking safety. Yeah, basics. Okay, basics. And they had no answers. And I mean, for me, I got fired, and I went on a rampage along with him, along with Chris. We got fired in Jordan. Who was they were trying to fire anybody else? We weren't going to take it. We were just standing up for you know. Chris was a manager, okay, so he's reporting at the, their meetings in the morning. You understand? And they're telling him, "Yo, we got we got some cases of COVID in here, yeah, right? Yeah. Don't tell anybody." If anybody breaks out with anything on your floor, send them home. Put somebody in this spot. Okay? So, I mean, you know, which he should really be telling, but you know, I appreciate him. I have much respect for what he did because, you know, that alone, that right there, having that knowledge, it's like, you know what? I, and I don't blame him. Like, you know, the next death could be because, you know, I didn't say anything and I put somebody in the station where somebody was sick. And I don't blame him. He couldn't live with that. Nobody with common sense or, 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 you know, could live with that. You know, if you have any feelings for your fellow workers or just in general, you're not going to do that. So, you know, uh, we appreciate it that he told us, you know, like, listen, they don't even want me to tell y'all when somebody's sick. So, you know, like, you know, he'd look over and say, like, so-and-so sick right now. I just sent them home and now they want me to put somebody in this station. But the station's not being cleaned. And lo and behold... I know out here, I see at least at one facility, they didn't have a lot of uh, automatic stuff in, in up there. Everything's automatic. Robots, everything. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, you know, all you're doing is touching the screen. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So if I'm up there, <laughs> yeah. and then Chris sends me home, and now he says, hey, I need you to go fill in for Gerald. 
What are you going to do? You're going to be up on the same screen receiving the germs that I left. You know, there's the additional thing in America, obviously, the you no know, health insurance, I'm assuming. It's health insurance. Not oh, good. there is health insurance. It's, just, it's, yeah. it's not good. It's just, they want for the health it's not insurance. Real. It wasn't. Uh, it, be honest with you, I didn't even sign up. I kept Medicaid. Uh, I mean, you know, it wasn't even worth it. I've got another big question. So, why did you decide to go independent, you know, on, on your own? Um, why didn't you sort of uh, approach... Like a big coalition? Yeah, like a big... A, a because, big, I mean, I, I was reading about the... Um, down in Alabama, is it Bessemer? Yeah, uh, LWDSU. Yeah, so w w why did you decide we'll do uh, our own thing rather than so, try to get a big union to affiliate? So, RWDSU is a retail warehouse... Not warehouse, wholesale, retail, wholesale, department store union. And Amazon is actually listed as a retail, so that's the, that's the messed up part Amazon likes to do. But for us to go independent, it shows that we were former workers, current workers at the time, and we could only, like, if we told another coalition what goes on, they could only hear us, but they don't feel the pains we felt, the growing pains, the, the, the times we had to work 60 hours a week. And, you know, it just felt more, much better in our hands because, again, we were employees. We had to suffer these hours. We had to sit 10, 12 hours on these shifts. We had to work with Chris, these other management. And that, um, you know, again, who's the be who best knows where you work at? You and your own employees. And in terms of recruitment and building density, the relationships you can build and people know, well, he's been there and done that. I've been on the shop floor with him rather than people with the best will in the world. Even if, if you haven't been... If, you, if, if you're from like outside of you haven't done the job, it's, 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 it's very difficult. Well, I always say this, you know, Amazon's been around for 29 years now. If, if established unions wanted to organize, it would have been done already. Mm. And we had campaigns uh, against Amazon that you've never heard of in America. They never even got off the ground. Even at our building, there was a campaign in 2018 that we didn't even hear about until after we were fired because that's when we started paying attention to it. And that was from an established union, the Teamsters, who have $350 million in strike funds, have 1.5 million members who they always brag and boast about, which is fine. But having money and power is not the answer to organizing these new 21st century companies. If you don't have workers, <laughs> you don't have nothing. And we are the workers. We know the ins and outs of the company. We live the grievances every day. We, we understand the Amazon language. And uh, when we saw that RWDSU uh, in Alabama didn't have a real relationship with the workers, we knew before the votes before the, uh, even came out that they weren't going to win. Mm -hmm. So when they finally did have the results and we saw that they lost, and not only just lost, like they lost two to one, uh, we were not going to just follow that, you know, that same path. We knew we had to be untraditional. Um, and we knew that we had to be um, unprecedented. So we did everything against any playbook that you can ever imagine. And of course, because of that, that alone, we didn't get any support. There was no established backing. There was no money. There was no, um, all the experts that wrote us off, you know, people calling us uh, a clown circus, people calling Dogs. us a bunch of thugs, people calling us you know, uh, inexperienced, you know, all types of things were being said about us. And they didn't believe in us until actually the second day of our vote when, uh, you know, we were beating the Amazon by a landslide. I think there's, I mean, just my own two cents is that, that I don't, I never understand this, the reluctance of 
sort of big established unions to look at the workplace and look at falling union density and a lack of sort of organisation in these new workplaces. And I don't understand why they don't they don't just sort of push out or at least at least try. Ruling for backing, like? No, I just I don't understand why there has been such a reluctance to almost move with the times and to recognize. If you look, oh. if I was a union leader of a big union, uh, a big union, and I saw huge warehouses of uh, workers that are ununionized with the terrible uh, working conditions, I would be doing everything to try to. I like to think I would be doing everything well, to. We're, we're we're truly lonely. Mm. We're truly by ourselves. Yeah, we yeah. stand alone. Like, I'm, I mean, there are people that will help us or back us, but like the big guys that we thought we're going to back us are saying no we want you to fail because then we can come in and take over so you know you're dealing with that and you know just as well as there's a lot of positivity in what we're doing you know the back end is there's some bad elements that are trying to flip the script and you know that's I don't know if that goes on over here but uh, unions in America it's always been something like that happening and we, we peacefully did what we we're doing but you know we've been provoked in, in other ways, like, you know, and you know it's coming from these big unions, Teamsters, that are supposed to be, you know, you know, like, where's the brotherhood and sisterhood and just being union, unionized together? There's none of that, and they're not helping us. So we just want to put out there that, you know, that, and I, I you know, just for the record, your first question, I just want to say, like, people should never be scared because I've been fighting... My, that individual case, not talking about the union, but me, Gerald Bryson, yeah. I've been fighting for three years and change now, and I've beaten them twice already, okay? So they're running around in circles, and what people need to know is when you have done nothing wrong, you have nothing left but to fight. Yeah, you're not going to win right away because they're going to they're gonna lie and tell the judge they have new evidence to show that, you know, they got this, and then they... they you know, this is what they do in America. So then they go back to court, and then the judge goes, well, where's your new evidence at? And they go, just the same shit, you know? So then they lose again. So that's the things that I'm going through right now. And I think this time, uh, when we go back home, something's going to happen. And I, 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 I mean... It could go into another one of those things, but I don't think so from what my lawyer's saying. You know, three strikes are out because we're going to really blast it on them to let everybody know I won again. So they're going to have to do something because, you know, three strikes are out. You had three tries. You can't keep on com coming back to court with the same evidence. And so people who are thinking like, oh, my God, my job, just know you have to fight. You'll get some unemployment. Yeah, when I when I lost, I got unemployment and all those other things where I've been fighting. And I got help from my brother right there, my brother right here. You know what I'm saying? If I ain't got it, they, they'll put it together for me. You understand? That's, that's, that's what a brotherhood and a sisterhood is. So, yeah, there's trying times. I'm a single father. But, uh, you know, I'm here. I stand firm and strong to tell you that you will prevail. If you fight, you win. When we fight, we win, as Chris says, and that's just the bottom line. So you know you can't you can't let none of these people just you know put plant despair in you. You know it's time for action. How just before how many workers were in that in the JFK eight roughly at the time? Oh, eight thousand. Eight thousand. So you know again when I was reading, I was thinking like the scale of it. You know is is almost is is crazy. You know that's bigger than obviously any. Warehouses or workplaces in the most workplaces in the UK, anyway. Um, and when you were starting up, I think some people, when they think about organising and unions, it's almost so intimidating. Like, where do I start? Do I get back in? Do I put this in place? 
So what did you guys do? Was it like we have to get this in done, or did you literally just go, "Oh, right, we're just gonna, we're just gonna go well, for it"? I mean, yeah, we did that. I mean, we just got hold in there. And, I mean, basically that we we my man here reviewed the laws and uh, regulations from the NRLB mm-hmm. National Labor Relations Board, and once he knew that, he calculated. He said, "Yo, we need this. Mm-hmm. Let's go out and get these signatures." And that's what we did. Then, it, when, like he said, I think he might have mentioned it earlier, like, our first time, we didn't even win. We had to withdraw. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Uh, uh, we waited a few more weeks, mm-hmm. you know, added to that collection. Yeah. Then submitted back for the win. So, I mean, you know, it's it, it, it's a process. It's a game it, of chess. Yeah. So, but did you, at the start, you, know, just into, you had the committee? No, so the, it was just... Uh, it was just us and honestly it wasn't even just that also like we had asked questions with the NLRB lawyers you know we had sit downs and we had to make sure everything was done the right way because again we're taking on this trillion dollar company and we know the games and gimmicks that they're going to play so again like Chris has said it's a game of chess so you want to be one step ahead before they make their next move so in terms of the tactics you said you just turned up like basically outside with a bus stop with a, with a tent mm-hmm. I mean, yeah we played you know, chess and um, our tactics um, were definitely unpredictable because you know when they made a move, we made a move, and uh, we not we didn't always have the answers. You know, we had to figure it out as the days went on. Um, we never knew what they were going to do, but uh, for us, our tactics uh, main focal point was being outside, being in front of the building, being visible to the workers, so that. When things do happen, we're there on the spot. We're there in real time. And um, it was never a dull moment, you know. It was actually pretty exciting to go out there and, and and really deal with Amazon shenanigans, but also to have those special conversations with people um, and educate them on what we're trying to build, you know. Creating a union is one thing. Um, well, actually, I'm sorry. Forming a union or joining a union is... is it's, it's a difference, you know. People don't understand that how difficult it is to create a union. You know, you can join the union and yeah. you can already have that system in place and and have your representat- representation in place. But for us, building from the ground up um, is, is unheard of in the 21st century. So, um, you know, our task was a lot greater, but we did it the, the way it was supposed to be done. You know, like I said, it, it was... It meant to be it would have been done 28 you know, years. They had 28 years to do it. Well, yeah. well, when I think about trade unions and trade union organizing and tactics, I, you know, as a long-standing trade unionist, I think of I'll get loads of letters. Uh, we'll have a, a meeting. Um, you know, we'll get discount travel insurance <laughs> and all these, other, <laughs> all these other perks that you get. Like yeah. constant emails from your union. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was reading about you guys, and you've got like barbecues. You know, playing music. People are just hanging out. Um, and you said it just seems like a lot of fun. And I was yeah. thinking, well, that sounds a lot yeah. different. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, we can take it back to 2018 when the building first opened up. Me and Chris opened up that building. Jerry came up. Uh, I should say this again. Me, Chris, and Derek opened up that building. And Gerald actually came a month later after the building opened up. So during this time frame, we're already almost three years in, two years, two and a half years in. And we already know the community. Yeah. So just having the barbecues and having the music... 
most of the workers already know us, so they're already showing support or showing interest, and then that's what draws the rest of the workers to come and talk to us and start engaging with us. Yeah, yeah, and, and typically when I see you see other union drives, it's you know again without criticizing sort of established unions in the UK, it's like you have paid union officials will go and have a day where they'll have a desk, and then that's it, and you you might give out a few leaflets, and then you go back. They're not the workers in the in that workforce. You, and you probably don't see them again for for like six months or a year, and that seems to, so. It just seems to be just you know when you say it, it just sounds so effective and so simple. But it's almost I think if you're in this sort of union bureaucracy from for a long time, you get stuck in a certain way of doing things, and you forget that actually this is just these are the basics of building building relationships. You answer your own. And and going back to what you said before about if you was a president. Uh, why not? Why they don't don't they do the right thing and help new established unions? Well, the presidents in America they make anywhere between quarter million dollars to a half a million dollars. They just is almost as bad as the capitalists or the corporation. They they got a lot of uh, corporate contracts, which means they're not really contracts that are 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 making people's lives better. They're just so that they have membership. It's just a partnership. Right, and it's not, and, and that's not what we want here. Our constitution, our the way it's designed, I, I, I make a worker's salary. Last year I made 31000 I made less than an Amazon worker. So, Well, this is what I was going to ask you guys, and, you know, how do you, st- how, how, there's a, a social partnership bill, you know, going through the Welsh government at the moment, and it's creating this thing where the, the unions are the partnerships with, the, you know, the companies and, and the government and, and my opinion is that the rank and file workers are sort of shut out of all that. Yeah. And there's a lot of like sweetheart deals. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sort of the, the well, trade you, union. You answering your own question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but I was you know, like, because obviously you've got the, this recognition, uh, you've got the recognition agreement in your warehouse, and like Chris is saying, you've, you're taking a worker's salary, so that's obviously something that you're determined to remain. Not only that, but <laughs> politics. You, you talk about working with the government. Where the reason why. We're independent, and we in in our constitution as well. We don't endorse politicians. You know that's that's the, the that's the root of why unions, established unions particularly, uh, they have a disconnect with their rank and file members because not all your rank and file members are going to be on the left. Not all of them going to be on the right. Not all of them going to believe in the same ideology as everybody. So you can't put yourself in that box, especially when you talk about 8,300 people in the only red borough in New York City, one out of five, we're the only one that's red, Staten Island is literally Trump Island, it's Trump flags everywhere, it's Republican, it's conservative, it's very segregated, it's rich on one side, poor on the other side, you can see it, uh, clear as day, the segregation is real, and the, the disconnect is real, so we can't put ourselves in aligned with the Democratic Party are aligned with any politician because you know members some members will get turned off from it and that has happened we had plenty of debates with members because you know Bernie said something our AOC jumped on our our way for a while and then you know other politicians local politicians coming to get their endorsements whether they were running for president of the borough or our city council or something so we had to keep them at bay, like, listen, we, we we understand what you're doing here, and that's cool and all, supporting us, but, like, no, this is our fight. Yeah. You're not claiming our credit. 
Yeah. And I, you know, and they did it anyway. After we won, you know, they they definitely blasted yeah, out all the all the pictures that they snuck. You know, they they started every posing. politician was there. Everybody, their so, poses, please. You know, we had the largest we had the largest rally in five years in Staten Island. You know, for the first time ever, Bernie Sanders come to Staten Island. For the first time ever, AOC come to Staten Island after we won. But before that, it was crickets. You know, so like we understand what we're dealing with, and we don't play those games. We don't play politics. We we keep everything work related, and if you're a politician, you come on our side. Uh, we will hold you accountable. We definitely done that before, and and uh, we don't believe in that because we want our members to feel like they have a voice, and that this union is going to fight for them. You know, through and through. This is all like music to my ears. I got to be honest. It's, 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 it's like one of our problems too. Like. Even with the National Labor Relations Board, it's politics involved. Yeah. Right, right now, okay. Two years ago, when I started my fight and they, you know, did all my things, my my shit was going extra slow. Why? Because it was Republicans in office, five seats. We give up every time a new president is elected. So right now, the Democrats are in. Once the Democrats came in, my it moved a little better. It's not moving at top speed still. So all that shit they tell you about uh, helping you. You know, how much, I mean, come on. I'm a black man that got fired on his day off who has a child, all right? And I did nothing wrong but protest to keep us safe. And still, even with the Democrats, it's slow process. Now, National Labor Relations Board is underfunded. But my point is, politics plays a part in a lot of these government agencies. So when Trump comes in, those those three Democrats got to leave. And he's going to put his three uh, Republicans in. So those are the things that we're dealing with uh, on a political basis, and that's as far as we want to be bothered with anything political, like like Chris said. Because, I mean, in this day and age, especially in America, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, Joe Biden gave away every fund we had, so I don't think that he's getting reelected. He might think he's got a good chance, but I doubt it. He made it better for Trump to get elected, even though he doesn't think so. Because we're broke. This is broke as everybody else. You can't give trillions to the Ukraine every week. And that's what they've done for the last six months. Okay, so, I mean, you know, I hate politics. I hate to get it, and that's why I hate it, because, you know, just like we sit up here, and we, you could talk about politics, and they'll say, well, Russia doesn't like U.S. U.S. doesn't like Russia, right? So why are we in a space station right now together, floating above the Earth while all this nonsense is going on underneath? Okay? It's just plain facts. It's one big game. And you, who's getting played? The people. All right? So, I mean, the people. doesn't matter if you're in Wales or New York. We're, we're all getting played because these guys are sticking together. So better than really involve ourselves with politics, let's just do what we can for each other, you know, and try to at least make the workplace a friendly place for us, make the workplace a established place where we know that we're uh, secured uh, medically, you know, and, and other benefits and things that's going to help us when we go home to our families. You know, maybe you need a latchkey latch program for your kid or, you know, anything. No extra dental plans. All that stuff comes through unions. And, you know, that's all we can do. We need to look out for each other. And that's worldwide. That's not just here in Wales or in New York or in South Kakalaka. You know, we have to take a stand and people have to stop being scared because... You know, that's what they, they thrive on. They thrive on fear. There's nothing to fear. They'll fear you once you start fighting back.
One of the things I was so shocked to read about was the scale of the union busting uh, tactics. I was wondering if you could just tell us a bit about you know what what happened, you know what form did it take? Because um, I was you know, I was reading about some of the things that happened. It's, it almost it's like a horror film. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the things they did. You know, even if we talk about it, people still won't believe it because of you know it, it was. Uh, they didn't waste any time with us, you know. By the time we started our campaign, by week two, they already flew the cavalry up here um, from, you know, all over, uh, mainly from down south, southern states, Alabama. They flew the same Union buses up to New York City, thinking that that would be successful on their end. Um, and, and besides the Union buses, who were getting paid, you know, anywhere between thirty-two to ten thousand dollars a day to seven. 17,000, 19,000 a week. Um, they're millionaires, you know, and they're coming to divide the workers. They did it by demographics. They had Latina union buses talking to the Latino population, Muslim, Muslim population, black, Hispanic, white. It didn't matter. They tried to divide the workers with the union buses, put them in over 3,300 captive audiences within the six month time frame. So imagine your day one getting hired at Amazon and then you're walking into a captive audience uh, for an hour every time uh, listening to anti-union propaganda uh, listening to somebody telling you to vote no watching videos watching all types of animations that they created listening to lies and misinformation uh, every day we cost them billions for them stopping production for that and on top of that um, you know having Myself and other organizers rest, arrested by the police. Uh, they used the NYPD. They used the landowners. The landowners were out there calling the police on us. Not just once, but probably we lost count how many times the cops came out there uh, trying to get us off the property. And the fire department, uh, they built up a fence. They built up a scaffold. Um, they just tried to create so much in, uh, intimidation and fear that you know, workers wouldn't want to talk to us because they were fearful that they would lose their job. Beware of dog signs. Surveillance, cameras, all types of things. He, he had a he had a little miniature dolby. I'm talking about it was a little thing. It, it might not could hear, right, Chris? Yeah, no, nah, yeah. They put a beware. He used to bring it, keep it in the little case, you know, the little thing. Yeah. They put a beware dog sign up. Right. He was no bigger than that thing there. <laughs> right. Didn't they also have, like, basically people undercover? Yeah. Can they send workers undercover to try to? Is that what you mean as well? The union buses. Yeah, yeah. I mean oh, that's yeah. what the union buses. The union buses originally, you know, Amazon was just playing like roulette and playing chess as well. They wanted to see like what tactics would work. So at first they they had them in plain clothes. You know, they came there, they stuck out like sore thumbs. They were, you know, nobody shows up to a warehouse with a suit and tie. And, <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait! And the and best nice one shoes with on. a Bentley. With a Bentley or Lamborghini too, or something. Right, right. Nice car. Nice car outside. So, you know, that was one mistake they did when they realized that wasn't going to work. So then they started giving the vest, the vest said employee relations on it. Um, that was confusing the workers because they thought they were an extension of HR. Yeah. And then when we started to expose that, then they actually gave them blue badges and gave them manager vests. Yeah. So now they're walking around with operation vests on. They're confusing the workers saying, oh, no, we don't work for the company, but we're here to help. 
and we're here to take your feedback. And then they were polling them. They were polling them. They were seeing who was pro-union, who wasn't, and reporting that information back to management every day, which is illegal. So the, the union buses were, yeah, they were doing what they were supposed to do and what they got paid to do, unfortunately. Um, you know, but fortunately for us, that gave us opportunities to be creative. Yeah. So we used that against them. Their salaries be blasted it on. You know, we had pictures of their faces, wanted sign reward ten thousand dollars a day, and that type of exposure, uh, it was no good for Amazon because uh, they're now compromised. They can't go and say I'm a poor little guy that's here to help because that was what they were telling the workers. We had single, we had a, a union buster that was claiming to be a single mom of four, <coughs> and and. She came in there with a thousand dollar coat on, and we pulled up her salary. She's making nineteen thousand a week, and we gave it. To, we had a worker actually give it to her, and her jaw dropped <laughs> because she was in there. Not only was she in there lying about being a single poor mother, she was in there flirting with the guys. Mm -hmm. She was very attractive. She was a young. She might have been late twenties. Uh, she was Latina, long curly black hair. And she was young, so she kind of was hip. And the, the guys in there was all over her. So she was using that to her advantage until we started to expose who she really was. And then they started to, you know, call her out. And then she was out of there. You just you touched on one of the things that it's, it's such a thorny topic of, like, of race and racial divisions in, in the workplace. And, and in, if you're on social media and stuff at the moment, people are always talking, oh, is race more important or is class more important? But, I mean, I was just wondering, you know, it seems like what you guys built was like a, a cross-racial sort of class coalition. So I was just wondering if you could tell me a bit more about, you know, the, you know, was there any issues with like race? racial race? politics? Oh, definitely. The man right here? Within they the, had a smear I mean, campaign team. Yeah. He's not smart and articulated. I mean, you know, as a black man in society, we take offense into that because you're saying that we can't do it, and not just race also, but you're also paying the image to other Amazon workers who wanted to do it, that they're saying you're not smart and articulate. So by stating that to your employees, you know, you're, you're basically saying, like, you're, you're belittling them and yeah. that they have no chance of going up against him and portraying himself as a god. Like, you know, people, you know, work on these type of things. Uh, but for sure, like, you know, smear campaigns, the union busting and even them calling us thugs. Like we were out there just for the people. Like you said, we wasn't thinking about a union. We were just there for the for the workers to make sure they were safe and we were safe for ourselves. There's a lot of that. They did it in my case too. I was a, I was a, not only a thug. I was a woman basher, woman beater, uh, some other type of criminal. I don't know. They had all types of words. Let's put. I had a de deposition on the second time around. The first questions sure. they asked me to set it off to get. It, oh, Mr. Bryson, how you doing today? Uh, uh, did you smoke any crack this morning, or did you, you know, do you have a fix, or did you take a needle, or these are the types of things that they do. So yeah, I, think uh, I mean, I mean, that is I, that was to fire me up more, but in the long run, when these people read the papers and stuff, these are the things that they 
calling you, you know, I'm black, so I must be, you know, a thug, you know what I mean? You know, I can't be intelligent, you know, he's not intelligent, we're not articulate, you know, um, we're either thugs or we're rapists or we're women bashers, you know what I'm saying? All the things that Jeff is, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, but, uh, I mean, that's ba basically it. So, yeah, as far as Amazon goes, if you're asking, like, as far as the people yeah. that we're dealing with, Nah, we don't we don't go through that. You know, I'm I'm sure there's somebody there that said something asinine, but no. Right now, people gotta stop seeing color, period. We're all in the same fucking boat, okay? We're all here trying to secure a, a contract, uh, make our union strong, because what people don't realize, and whether it's a racial incident or not, even if it's, you know, towards the white side, where they say, well, you know, the white guys are in charge. They don't give a fuck about you. They give a fuck about them. Okay, and that's what you know. Everybody has to realize these guys don't care if you're white, black, or purple. So if you're white and you're thinking you got the upper hand because you're white, you're wrong. Because he still sees you as a piece of shit. You know what I'm saying? He wants you to work for his company. He wants you to take your head off and use your torso, your arms, and your legs and fucking do the job. You don't want to hear nothing else. So then that's how all of them are. So you know, I mean, people need to rate wake up if they feeling you know a little racy because hey we're all the same color to them motherfuckers amazon has a system that um you know that they design purposely to you know keep you know press black and brown and indigenous and immigrant people i mean it's in if you if you look at their s team right now it's only one black woman on the s team which is the executive board right you know right under the ceo um she was appointed in 2020, you know, when I was fired. Before that, it was completely white. Upper management at Amazon predominantly is white. 70% of upper management is white. Um, and the promotion policies, the fair promotion policies is not really equal. Um, me as a black supervisor, I applied to be a manager over 50 times. And I was only interviewed twice in the five year span. So I watch people that I've trained, white counterparts that I've trained with way less experience um, get promoted right over me. And I'm still telling them what to do as a manager. And I'm, a, I'm their assistant manager and I trained them. So it wasn't making any sense. And this was before COVID. You know, I was already mentally done with the company because I started to realize that there really is systemic racism in Amazon. And it still exists to this day, no matter how much they claim to stand with, you know, Black Lives Matter or, you know, um, any anything that's racially um, political. They, they take that. They take the, uh, the media take on it. And that's as far as it goes. It doesn't resonate with the workers on the, in the, in the uh, warehouses. And um, they still haven't even recognized Juneteenth as a paid holiday. You know, even though Joe Biden declared it as a federal holiday last year what they did was they sent a message to everybody but they didn't give them the day off with pay like they do with the other eight holidays so it's just things it's breadcrumbs it's uh, a lot of lip service from the company but they have systemically designed uh, a system that it does not promote black and brown uh, workers the same way as it does with white people are Asian descent and and that's that's not right so you know, that's one reason why our union in particular being black and brown led is important uh, being woman led is important 
All right, entire executive board, majority women, 16 members. We have 11 of them that are women. Our external staff, our volunteers, our staff at the office, all women. And our vice president is a woman. So it's we're showing that diversity matters, representation matters, and everybody's voices matter. And putting workers in the driver's seat is the ultimate threat to any employer. And we're really changing the scope of how unions should really look more diverse, uh, more inclusive, and uh, uh, definitely intergenerational, intersectional as well. We're coming to the end, lads. It's been an absolute pleasure. I was just wondering if you could all, if you got any advice or you know final words of wisdom uh, for for us all here in Wales and the UK, but also if you got any like shout outs to anyone or any any beefs. <laughs> But anyway, so yeah. Shout out to our guy D Palm in New York City. <laughs> Holding it down. He's Holding the, down. He's the only active brother right now that's in the building. Um, Eight years. So definitely well, shout out. Uh, it's, it's it's crazy. Uh, I, all I can say is, you know, we, we got to stick together. Don't listen to anything Amazon or any other union buster might tell you because it's a lie. Uh, stick with the people that have your back. And... Uh, Ask questions, as my man Jordan would say. If you don't know, you have to ask questions. The problem right now is that we're, we're all a little bit labor illiterate, all right? Like, like Chris said, we're doing this by hand. I belong to at least six or seven unions, but you know what? That didn't mean anything, like Chris said, because you know what? I never put a union together. So I didn't know what it composed of. He didn't know what it composed. We're still learning as we go along. You know, we, we're finding new things out. We'll probably go home and the women up there will have something new for us. That, that's the way it goes, you know. And that keeps them busy. And you, yeah, I don't think that Jeff really wants to tangle with a bunch of women if this goes through. Because they are some fire sticks up there. All right. They set fire to our behinds when, we, when things ain't right. So, I mean, that's uh, a good way to look at it. I mean, like, because there is a lot of racial problems and things. I mean, I remember coming in there counting. And having, uh, they told me you were allowed to have a certain amount of mistakes. I had 18, so I was under the mistake thing. But I came in with another guy, a white guy, who just came from the Army. He just wanted money to go uh, extreme boarding, snowboarding and stuff until his real job called him, you know. So I asked to go to robotics like Jordan because Jordan hooked me on that robotics thing. That's why I went to Amazon. I wanted to mess with the robots, you know. And they told me, oh, you got too many mistakes. You can't be in there, okay. So I was pissed and, you know, I'm doing my work. And my friend comes up, the Army guy. He's like, I'm like, what's wrong with you? You know, he's like, yo, they want me to go do that stupid-ass robotic stuff. And I was like, what? Oh, I've been dying to get in there. They, they said I got too many errors. I got 18 errors. He said, 18? He said, I got 28. So that's where, you know, but he's white. Blonde head, white kid. He didn't want to do it, but that's what they did. They told me I wasn't eligible, but he was, but my scores were better than his. So that's what you're dealing with there. And when you come in the door, you don't know. Like, I didn't know any better. I'm following, you know, I was two weeks in, three weeks in when this happened. So, and I'm the only person also, just to make a note of how, 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 how bad things are, have you ever been written up while you're training for a job? Right here. <laughs> they written me up my, my first week while I was training. 
So that's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with these people. You know, they're just the scum of the earth. I'm not scared to put it out there. Fuck you, Jeff. And, you know, for everybody else, solidarity, sisters and brothers, stay together and fight. You will win. Uh, as Gerald said, uh, definitely organizing isn't about just handing out flyers and talking to employees. Organizing is also asking questions because if you don't know, how are you going to spread the knowledge? Uh, two, shout out to our e-board, majority women, definitely. And um, not just Wales or Coventry or Swansea, any Amazon facility that wants to organize, don't be afraid to step out there. And if you have to lose your job, don't be afraid because you know what? That's what starts. That's what starts the movement. When you when you make that change, people will start to follow you. And honestly, you know, like Chris said, we didn't we didn't plan to start a union, but over time, you have to sit down, think about it, and you have to think about the long term. Even though Amazon is not a long term career, you still got to think about your kids, your future generation, your kids, kids, kids. That you know, you don't want them to see them suffer. So uh, definitely, uh, you know. A fight to fight. So Amazon, Starbucks, anywhere right now that wants to organize their workspace, a fight to fight. And we stand in solidarity. Amazon's ran off of numbers, metrics, robots, machinery. Um, and it's a trillion dollar company. And people, and including Amazon, still can't figure out how we were able to defeat this company. But I say this all the time. One thing they can't calculate is love and solidarity, which is free. So showing up, caring for one another, being there for one another, caring about little details, showing one another that no matter what the company does, people power is unmatched. There's no amount of money in the world that can, can match up to people when they come together. Uh, we've proven that with our campaign. You know? So we just, we, we're just here to continue that. This is why we're here in the UK. So shout out to the GMB for bringing us out here. Um, shout out to TUC for hosting us. Um, and shout out to uh, you know all the Amazon workers that were inspired by us. Uh, because, you know, I came here a little over two months ago. And that's when Coventry um, and I met those workers. Uh, they just started. And, you know, we... we uh, I've been following every day in the States, you know, watching their Twitter and their social media. So I've been glued to it, and I'm happy to see that it's progressed this far, and I know that they're going to be victorious. And we're, hope, we're hoping that um, this is going to spread to Swansea as well and beyond, and, and also um, across the globe. You know, it's time that we make this an international solidarity fight, which has already become, and show Amazon uh, that we're not going anywhere no matter where we're at in the world. We're only going to continue to grow and fight back, and this movement is not going to do nothing but continue to amplify and stop and, and continue to uh, resonate with the younger generation. So, um, you know, once again, love and solidarity, um, power to the people. Power to the people. Power to the people. Awesome. Amazing. Cheers, boys. Right, this is Tyrone O'Sullivan, who led the buyout of Tower Colliery. Ladies and gentlemen, Tyrone. Hello. I've waited 50 years for this. Oh. To be standing here. 
It's a vote in the socialist in the Labour Party. Well, that's all, thanks. I'm going to say a little bit about myself. So I, I look at Facebook and I hear people on the television and on the radio and the things they say, I wonder who they are. Who are these people? Do they go to work? Do they live? Do they work in the bank? i tell you a bit about me. I started work at 15 in the coal mine. My dad, my hero, was killed in Tower Colliery in 1963. My hero when I was 17. My great-grandfather, David Watkins, went to work with his two sons on Christmas Eve in 1885. And they all got killed. Oh, my God. That's Tyrone O'Sullivan. That's the Watkinses in my family. Four generations we've lost our lives. Oh. It is still the finest industry the world have ever seen. How they make films about the great... What was that diamond? Was it in America? Right? Whatever. I'm trying to think of the name, but I've lost it. Red diamond. Red diamond. No, it wasn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh the yeah. John Wayne. Oh. David Lucastello. All those people making films. Errol Flynn. What about history? of the Welsh miners. Yeah. What about the changes we made in the world? Yeah. What about the people who built miners' institutes with theatres and libraries Yay! and silver bands? Yeah. That's what you call a union. That's what you call working for the people. Yeah. We were the first entrepreneurs. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. It's a magic word, isn't it? Entrepreneurs. Yeah. But 360,000 miners give a penny a week. That's all they did. But that allowed them to be their own masters. And that's crucial in the world today. We must become our own masters. And we can do it. 